O sing to the Lord a new song, make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us worship the Lord our God. to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory of God's name. Worship the Lord in holy splendor. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over mighty waters. Glorious God, we come to worship and praise you in response to your voice that calls us to our home in you. We join with all the voices of the earth 
together with all the voices of the heavens, to praise the glorious name of our God, and to bow down in awe before the mighty energies of our God, in whose triune name we pray. Grace to you and peace from the First Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, both those gathered here in this sanctuary and those worshiping in other locations. We are indeed glad and grateful to gather in the name of the Lord, and because it is in Christ's name that we gather, our word of welcome is one with absolutely no qualifying adjectives attached whatsoever. All are welcome in God's house, and in such a way we greet one another. I'd like to highlight a few things from your bulletin, and also not in your bulletin, for our particular attention in this week to come. The first thing I'd like to say a word about is COVID protocols. We are obviously in a period of heightened infection in the city of Philadelphia, and I remind you that the city of Philadelphia is under a mask mandate. So unless you are a worship leader who has been recently tested negative, as both Megan and I did this morning, uh, we ask you to keep your masks on, and we'll only remove these while we're speaking, and that's for the benefit of people who, with hard of, who are hard of hearing. I'd like to invite you if you wish to take a poinsettia with you as you go, uh, please do leave the, the, the pots that they are in, take just the poinsettia, but please uh, take all that you wish. We would love for them to be removed. Um, we have a new members class scheduled for this Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. by way of Zoom. And whether you have worshipped with us a short time or a long time, if you believe that God is calling you to unite with us in ministry here at First Church, we would love to include you in that. You can call me in the church office, you can email me, just let me know of your intention so I can be sure that you get that Zoom invitation. And we'll look forward to telling you more about our life together here at First Church and welcoming those who wish to join into the life of the congregation formally. I'd like to note as well that we have a book study beginning on Wednesday, and that is uh, to be led by the Reverend Ken Ross. We are reading Eddie Gloud's book, Begin Again, about the work of James Baldwin. There are copies of the book available in the church office. You're welcome to take a copy if you wish, and just let us know so that we can, likewise, include you in that Zoom invitation for that. Finally, I've been asked to remind folks that uh, if you are experiencing symptoms that are of any illness, please stay home and take advantage of our live stream. Our resident epidemiologist, Dr. Dan Seekins, has reminded us that with Omicron, it is possible to test negative for a while before you finally test positive. So if you have any symptoms whatsoever, we encourage you please to make use of the live stream and come back to us when you are feeling well. Uh, With these things noted, let us worship the Lord our God with our confession of sin. God loves us and calls us each by name. Knowing we are eternally forgiven and infinitely loved, let us boldly confess our sin before God, first together and then in silence. Holy God, you have called us by name. We belong to you. In our baptism, you have sealed us as your own. Though we go through the deep waters, they will not overwhelm us. Though we walk through fire, it does not consume us. Your claim on our lives is total, complete. Yet we live at times as though there were parts of our life that do not belong to you. 
as though there are aspects of our being that are outside of your care. Forgive us, we pray. Restore to us the knowledge that we are fearfully and wonderfully made by your own hand for your good purposes. Hear our prayers, O Lord. Beloved, God forgives your sins. Know that you are pardoned, and be at peace to love the Lord and serve the, word, the world. Believe in the good news and the promise of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Our first scripture reading this morning comes to us from the book of Acts, in the 8th chapter. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. The two went down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet the Spirit had not come upon any of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Our second reading comes to us from the Gospel according to Luke in the third chapter. As the people were filled with expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heaven was opened. And the Holy Spirit descended upon him in in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased. Our Old Testament lesson is taken from the book of the prophet Isaiah, the 43rd chapter, the first seven verses. Listen to the word of God. But now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, God who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, 
For I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Ethiopia and Seba in exchange for you, because you are precious in my sight and honored, and I love you. I give people in return for you, nations in exchange for your life. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east, and from the west I will gather you up. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons and daughters from far away from the ends of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Almighty, eternal God, grant now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts may be acceptable, even pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. There is a wonderful quotation from Howard Thurman, Don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive, and go and do that. A clergy group that I was in years ago was discussing this quotation from Thurman, and a colleague of mine asked this question. We have loads of wonderful people who are doing wonderful things, and they are being deeply faithful to Jesus, he said. But we seem to be doing them in ones and twos. Do any churches have that overarching value that ties them together? Isn't that a question for all of us as we enter the third year of this pandemic? I'd like to suggest today that there is an overarching value at First Church that binds us together, that constantly shapes how we do much of everything. And I talk about it a lot. You hear it every Sunday. We are, as a congregation, deeply committed 
to inclusivity. We want everyone to know that there is a place for them here at First Church. If you're conservative, great, you're welcome here. Same if you're liberal or anywhere in between, since politics seems to be a dividing line for us many, many times now. So whether you are to the right of Attila the Hun or the left of Karl Marx, there is a place for you here at First Church. Now, I can't promise that you will always like what you hear, but Jesus never promised anyone that the gospel is always easy to hear. We want to be inclusive of people of different ages, so we offer our celebration service at 9 o'clock so that children have a place where they can most easily be children and also worship God. We commit a minister solely to congregational care so that those who are homebound and experiencing illness are not outside the care of the church. We want to be economically inclusive, so if the church is doing something together and money is a problem for someone, we'll overcome it. That's why the books are available for the book group in the church office. You don't have to pay for them. We will provide them. We were early leaders, well before my time here, in being fully inclusive regarding sexual orientation, and every family is welcome at First Church. Now, the truth is, this commitment probably has cost us a few members along the way. And I am sure there have been folks who haven't joined First Church because that level of inclusivity is not their core value. But it is who we are. And even in those moments when we fail to achieve it, it is at least who we aspire to be. It's who we want to be. I believe it is what makes us come alive. I want you to know that I am monumentally aware that those of us who are here every Sunday and those who worship online every Sunday can probably recite the beginning of the welcome verbatim by now. I really do try to mix it up a little here and there or at least change my vocal inflection, but I'm pretty sure you've all got it down and can do a perfect caricature of me doing it. Grace and peace to you and welcome to the First Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia. And as we greet one another in Jesus Christ, we mean our word of welcome with no qualifying adjectives whatsoever. And by the way, I really did mean that part quite sincerely. And the church really does mean it. It's who we are. It's just that there's a limit to how many different ways you can say that welcome either means welcome or it doesn't. Period. And for what it's worth, that's the part of my week that makes me almost sinfully proud of being First Church's pastor even if I can't come up with a particularly original way of saying it every week, it's what drew me here in the first place, and it's one of my absolute favorite things about this particular body of faith, that when we say welcome, we don't have to backtrack. It also is what makes us come alive. It is what makes us come alive because it is who God has called us to be. And it is what God has called us to do. God has called us as individuals and as this congregation. And the time of that calling 
is your baptism. It is the sacrament of inclusion that calls us to a ministry of inclusivity. Now, if that feels a little bit like love bombing from your pastor, it sort of is. But then I got to thinking about it. I'm sitting here telling you I think that it's an admirable and rare trait for a congregation to seek to be truly and deeply inclusive, to welcome with the kind of welcome that is as big and wide as we believe God is. But then I had to think for a moment about what the obstacles are to being a truly and deeply welcoming congregation. And as I thought about it, my mind came back over and over again to the same thing, that the chief obstacle to the kind of welcome that God calls us to live out deeply is fear. To be sure, there is a certain amount of fear of the other that has driven churches to fall short of the mark of a genuine welcome. And certainly the church, an institution comprised as we are of redeemed sinners, has missed the mark on occasion. Every church misses the mark on occasion. This church has missed the mark on occasion. This pastor has missed the mark on occasion. You get a bunch of people together and our limitations will fairly quickly become evident in any instance. But that's really not new to this body of faith. It's a story that is as old as faith itself. The fear of the other is something that the Bible seeks to address over and over again. Why do you suppose, for instance, that the Bible is so full of concern for the alien resident living in your towns to take a line straight out of the Ten Commandments? It is because the fear of the outsider or the other is a seductive fear. And I do not mean to suggest that those of us who articulate or seek to articulate a vision of welcome as wide as God's grace are somehow always fearless and pristine, whereas those congregations and persons who erect barriers, intentionally or otherwise, are somehow faithful, faithless. Indeed, it is the fear of being unfaithful to God's designs and wishes that has motivated a great deal of exclusivity in the church through the years. But on the topic of fear, the Bible has a great deal to say. Perfect love casts out fear, writes John in his first epistle. Do not be afraid, only believe, says Jesus in, John, in Mark's gospel. And of course, the word of the Lord to us from Isaiah today, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. God's claim on us is what enables us to do and be what God calls us to do and be. And this word of grace comes to the Israelites at precisely their lowest moment. When God calls them to be raised up and gathered in and, and to know who they are and who it is that has called them to be who they are, that calling comes right after one of the harshest judgments the Israelites encounter. 
It comes right on the heels of and in the depths of the Babylonian captivity. Now, I told you a few weeks ago that while the problem the Israelites faced early on in their, in their institution as a people of God was idolatry, by the time we get around to the major and minor prophets, who incidentally are identified as major or minor prophets for no reason other than their length, major prophets are long-winded, minor prophets are short-winded. The chief complaint that God has with the people is, first, that they have dabbled in foreign alliances rather than relying on God to protect them, and secondly, and more importantly, in the minor prophets, that they have run roughshod over the poor, the orphans, the widows, the aliens, and generally the marginalized. Anyone they could get an upper hand on. Getting the upper hand on someone and using it is to practice exclusion because it has nothing to do with bringing grace. When we bring grace, we include the person who is weaker in the interaction. And the result of this practice of exclusivity, practice of exclusion, is that the people of God go down to ruin. They are defeated in battle over and over again, finally so conclusively that their best and brightest are dragged off to hard labor in a foreign land, and God says to them more or less, this is what happens when. But the grace of God is never more real than when there is something real to forgive. So following directly on the heels of God's judgment comes God's grace. So it is that the God of redemption says to the people, Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When we extend our word of welcome here at First Church, we do so because we have heard the word of the Lord. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. And when we hear this and act on it and live in it, it opens up the door for us to be the human beings that God has created us to be. That is a word from the Lord for us as a congregation. But it is also a word of the Lord for us each individually. God knows your name. God has called you, you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you by name saying to us all, Do not fear. I have redeemed you. You are mine. Writing on the sacrament of baptism, the late David Willis and William Plaker wrote this in their wonderful book, Belonging to God. They wrote, In life and in death, we belong to God. And that's straight from the catechism. 
So instead of being alienated from God and instead of being strangers and aliens to the promises, we are adopted, brought into, made part of the household of God, free to participate in life together in Christ. That's what it means to greet one another in the name of Jesus Christ, to be called into this life together. That is what is going on at the baptism of the Lord, which we mark today. God is declaring to all of us, do not be afraid. I am in this thing with you. I am in this life with you. And because of that, we are all in this thing together. And God is in this thing with us. That's what it means to be baptized, that God is with us in our best moments, but certainly in our worst. There's an old story told about Martin Luther, repeated so often that I suspect it's probably true, that in the depths of the Reformation, and there were certainly depths, as he was excommunicated from what he was raised to believe was the true church, as he stood under threat of death, should the Reformation be reversed where he was living, that Luther would start each day saying to himself, Remember, Martin, that you are baptized. You belong to God. Remember that you are baptized. Back in the early 90s, Central Presbyterian Church in downtown Atlanta was remodeling their sanctuary. And if you've ever been through any sort of renovation in a church, you know that nothing is ever as straightforward as it seems. There's discussion about absolutely everything from the, the color of the carpet to whether we recover the pew cushions or replace them. Uh, will we have enough money to renovate the antiphonal organ? Things come up in renovations that just demand to be addressed. And what came up for Central Church was the placement of their baptismal font. It turned out that most of the members of the renovation committee wanted to keep the baptismal font exactly where it was, but that the building had been so significantly renovated that the traffic flow patterns had changed so that everyone would have to walk past the font to get into the sanctuary. So the architect advising the congregation quickly pointed out to them that this was a problem. Surely they didn't want the font right in the middle of everything. Surely it should be moved to the other side of the sanctuary, out of the way. No, the committee said. They wanted it right in the middle of everything. They wanted all the traffic to go past it. They wanted the people to touch it and to brush up against it. They wanted elderly people to lean on it when they needed a rest and for children to run around it. In short, they wanted it right in the middle of it all, right in the middle of their common life. Remember you are baptized, said Luther. Remember you are baptized. Be free of fear. Live together in the common life to which Jesus Christ has called us in his baptism. To know that we are all in this thing together. And God is in this thing with us. Do not be afraid, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are 
are mine. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.
Let us together confess what we believe in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. As people who have passed through the waters of baptism, let us make a grateful offering to God, our Redeemer. You're invited to bring your offering forward during the offering, if you wish, or following the service, and you are also able to give online.
Let us pray. Eternal God, for the abundance with which you have blessed us, we give you thanks through Christ our Lord, asking that you would receive our offerings and bless them and multiply them, and that in using them we would see your kingdom at work among us. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Friends, this is the joyful feast of the Lord, and Scripture teaches us that people will come from east and west and north and south to sit at table with our risen Lord, who is even now the unseen host at this table. Indeed, we read in the pages of the Gospel that the disciples first recognized the risen Lord as he took bread and blessed it and gave it to them, and their eyes were opened. Even still, we are invited to come and to see our Lord and to recognize him. This is not First Church's table. It is not a Presbyterian table. This table belongs to none but our Lord Jesus Christ, who calls all, who calls you. Let us pray. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give God thanks and praise. It is truly right and our greatest joy to give you thanks and praise, O God of mercy and might. In your wisdom you made all things and sustained them by your power. You have called forth people in every age to be your servants and speak your word. When we rebelled against your call and turned from your ways, in your love you called us back to you. You delivered us from captivity and made covenant to be our sovereign God. You sent prophets to call us to justice and compassion. Therefore, we praise you, joining our voices with the choirs of heaven and with all the faithful of every time and place, who forever sing to the glory of your name. majesty. And blessed is Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, in whom you have revealed yourself, our light and our salvation. Baptized in Jordan's waters, Jesus took his place with sinners, and your voice proclaimed him your beloved. Your Spirit anointed him to bring good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives, to restore sight to the blind, to free the oppressed. 
He lived among us in power and grace, touching broken lives with your healing peace. By the baptism of his suffering, death, and resurrection, you gave birth to your church and made with us a new covenant by water and the Spirit. Remembering your gracious acts in Jesus Christ, we take from your creation this bread and this wine and joyfully celebrate his dying and rising as we await the day of his coming. With thanksgiving, we offer our very selves to you to be a living and holy sacrifice dedicated to your service. Great is the mystery of faith. Christ, Christ has died. died. Christ, Christ is, is risen. risen. Christ, Christ will, will come, come again. again. Gracious God, pour out your Holy Spirit upon us and upon these your gifts of bread and wine, that the bread we break and the cup we bless may be the communion of the body and blood of Christ. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, that we may be one with all who share this feast, united in ministry in every place. As this bread is Christ's body for us, send us out to be the body of Christ in the world. O God, as you once claimed us in the Spirit's waters, and number us among your own beloved, give us power to do your work, to show your love, and to live holy and joyful lives. Keep us faithful in your service until Christ comes in final victory, and we shall feast with all your saints in the joy of your eternal realm. Through Christ, with Christ, in Christ, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, until glory and honor are yours, Almighty God, all glory, now and forever. Hear these prayers, along with the prayer that your Son, our Savior, taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine, For thine is the kingdom, kingdom and, and the power, power and, and the, the glory, glory forever. Amen. If anyone did not receive their communion elements on the way into the sanctuary, just raise your hand so that our ushers may bring you a communion kit. We need one in the front. So, thank you. On the night of our Lord's arrest, he took bread, and when he had blessed it, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, after supper, he took the cup. And he gave it to his disciples, saying, This cup is the cup of the new covenant, sealed in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you. For as often as you eat this bread or drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's saving death until he comes again. Beloved, these are the gifts of God for the people of God. Let us keep the feast.
who takes care of each one of us. Thank you for feeding us with the bread of life and the cup of salvation. Now send us out into the world to tell everyone about your love. Amen.
in peace to love and serve the Lord, remembering that all who have been fed at this table will return to this table in this life or in the life that is yet to come. And the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance on you and those you love and give you peace both this day and forevermore. Amen.